Folks, we're finishing up our series on the book of Hebrews this week, and we'll be looking at the 12th chapter of Hebrews, verses 1 through 3, 12 through 15, and the 28th verse. Listen 2 and 4, the Word of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with everyone, and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and through it many become defiled. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, hear our hearts this day and enable us to hear your word this morning as we listen to what the preacher from Hebrews has to say to us, your words, God, to us this day. Bless it, strengthen us, guide us, that we might be a blessing to you. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Last year on several occasions, uh, we here around San Diego saw a brilliant luminescence off of the coastline. And this phosphorescence is caused by minute uh, aquatic organisms, dinoflagellate algae and, and plankton, since you asked. When they're jostled, these little creatures, uh, they light up. And the energy of their movement is then converted into the energy of radiance. So many of us in San Diego have seen these kinds of things before. But over the years, even stranger stories of bioluminescence have been reported, and usually by sailors. Author Robert McFarlane speaks of sailors reporting that they had seen vast phosphorescent wheels with luminous rotating spokes up to 200 yards in diameter, trembling in the wake of their ships. And he says that sometimes the wheels appear to be uh, below the surface of the water and sometimes just above the surface of the water, kind of in the mist there, hovering. Well, there was an event in 2004 where a father and a son were sailing their yacht some 60 miles offshore in the Gulf of Mexico, and a gust of wind blew over their craft And so they they were clinging to the hull of this boat in that strong Gulf Stream current. After dark, they began to see this luminescence on the water. And then the father and son heard this strange, weird, high-pitched music. It was the song of dolphins. And then they realized that they were at the center uh, of of this turning uh, circle of phosphorescence 
created by those dolphins who were encircling their upturned boat. But then the exhausted father and son further noticed that there was actually a second ring of phosphorescence, even further out from the dolphin circle, encircling everything, the dolphins and, and the castaways. The outer ring was made by sharks. And the dolphins had been actually protecting the father and son from those sharks. I love the way dolphins push back against sharks. Well, as Pastor Paul has said about the series on Hebrews, which ends today, by the way, there's a lot about this uh, book that we do not know. <clears throat> but what we can say is the preacher of this very long sermon is delivering his message to a, a congregation that appears to be exhausted and endangered. And they maybe have also been undergoing persecution. Last week, Easter, Pastor Paul spoke about running. And as we bring our series on Hebrews to an end, I'd like to extend that metaphor for just one more week. So this morning, we're going to explore four things surrounding the theme that living out the faith is like running a long-distance race with spectators all around us. We'll talk about the crowd, that great cloud of witnesses. We'll talk about distractions and how Christ can help us move past them. We'll talk about endurance, running the race with perseverance. And then as we're running forward, we'll explore what it means to look to Jesus Christ. Behind this letter or uh, sermon to the Hebrews, we have a congregation which is, in a lot of respects, very contemporary. Their mental state is similar to many of our own churches before the pandemic began, and on the other hand, their mental state is similar to a lot of the churches we see uh, emerging from the pandemic, weary, somewhat shell-shocked. Listen to how Dr. Thomas Long describes a very recognizable congregation. They are tired, tired of serving the world, tired of worship, tired of Christian education, tired of being peculiar and whispered about in society, tired of the spiritual struggle. Tired of trying to keep their prayer life going, even tired of Jesus. Their hands droop, their knees are weak, attendance is down at the church, and they're losing confidence. The threat to this congregation is not that they are charging off in the wrong direction. They do not have enough energy to charge off anywhere. The threat here is that worn out and worn down, they will drop their end of the rope and drift away. Tired of walking the walk, many of them are considering of taking a walk, leaving the community and falling away from the faith. These Christians are suffering from spiritual fatigue, a condition which has grown so acute that it places them in danger even of losing their faith. Discouragement and loss of faith are a contagious virus in this biblical and in a lot of other congregations. And so the preacher of Hebrews has spent much of this sermon telling them about and telling us about Jesus Christ, who is the great high priest. And we'll have more to say about that in a moment. But he spends the majority of the 11th chapter giving a sort of a pre-game pep talk. He brings up the heroes of the faith, Melchizedek and, and Moses and Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Rahab 
Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and all the prophets. It's this, it's this history of the saints, a, a cavalcade of spiritual heroes. And it's stirring. It's, it's, it's intended to be stirring. And so part of the reason why this 11th chapter is, uh, is there is it's supposed to lead us into this great 12th chapter. It starts out, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I like that phrase, a cloud of witnesses. I'll never forget going to a, a U2 concert, the band U2, back in the 80s. I, I think John O'Day got me the tickets. And I've been to one Rose Bowl in my life, in the, the 81st in 1995, between Oregon and Penn State. And John didn't get me those tickets. But, but at any rate, I think that, that U2 concert was bigger because there were seats on the field. Now, of course, the band was up front, so they had to clear that area out a little bit. But there were seats on the field. And it's nighttime and had to be at least 100,000 people there. And the Olympic torch was burning. And, and the Coliseum was absolutely spectacular. But one of the things that, that really struck me most was the immensity of the crowd. I, I was standing in this enormous sea of humanity, and it just was inspiring. I'm into sports a bit myself, and I recall thinking about how amazing it must have felt for someone like USC running back Anthony Davis when he ran in this very coliseum on this turf for six touchdowns in 1972, and for four touchdowns in 1974 when USC beat Notre Dame two times. The crowd that, that day must have been just deafening. Well, on the night of that concert, being down there on the field and hearing this immense stadium cheering, I caught a sense of the inspiration that an athlete might experience when they're competing in front of a great cloud of witnesses. Some of you maybe have experienced that. That crowd at that concert that night, that is still my best window into this passage from Hebrews. But this crowd or cloud, they're not passive. They're not passive spectators. They are witnesses, it says. And the word that's used here is martyrs. And uh, they're heroes. Many of them have died for their faith. And so they, are, they bear witness to all Christians of God's faithfulness. And God, in turn, bears witness to or commends them for their faith. We tend to think of them looking down at us. Um, <clears throat> it's just as much us looking up at them for encouragement. You know, athletes, when you're out on the, on the, on the playing field or the court, you're well aware of the crowd, well aware. Well, those guys were dead. Yeah, that's right. They were dead. I... Jesus in Mark 12 says that he is not God of the dead, but God of the living. Once we have started a relationship with God and, and that has begun, it continues on into eternity. So there's a, a great cloud of witnesses up there. They're all alive, a hall of fame of faith. They're alive more now than ever before. And not just in eternity, but now, our faith, in our faith, we are not alone. Besides our friends who are here, we have Jesus. And then we have all those countless friends that are up there watching us. 
But in the meantime, especially when we're discouraged, especially when our faith is frail and our souls are threatened, say when we've gone through a pandemic, they are cheering us on. I know some of who my heroes are. Who are the heroes of faith that are cheering you on? Haven't you ever wondered about that? Ponder that this week, and then let the roar of that crowd with your heroes in it as well give you the joy and build up your faith and inspire you to do great things for Jesus Christ and to stay in the race of faith. One of the things that our faith heroes inspire us to do is to lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Folks, the preacher of this book of Hebrews is calling you and me to get rid of our distractions. Now, his point is is not that we should do the getting rid of these distractions. Remember that it was the high priest Jesus Christ who, who has already interceded for us and who has forgiven those sins, that those weights and sins that cling to us. Christ has already freed us from that guilt and that sin. And that burden and that weight are lifted off of our shoulders because of Jesus. But of course, the question is, do we realize that? Have we embraced, surrendered to the grace of God and claimed our freedom in Christ from those bondages? If you've ever uh, worn ankle weights when you've uh, jogged or played basketball, you know that as soon as you take those things off, you feel like you're going to float away. It's this great feeling. That's the feeling when you and I accept the reality of the gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, a forgiveness which has already been accomplished by Christ's work on the cross, which we just celebrated on Good Friday and then the resurrection on Easter Sunday. So after we've accepted the gift of forgiveness in Christ, after we've set aside those ankle and knee and arm and and body weights that cling too closely to us, we're then called to run the race, run with perseverance, the race that is set before us. The race we Christians run, by the way, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not a 50-yard dash. Our faith is meant to be a sustained effort over the long haul. Now, a couple things about this uh, long haul sustained effort of running in the faith. First of all, we have more endurance than we might think, at least in Christ. Did you know that we have more endurance than a lot of animals do? Now, I didn't say speed. (laughs) I said endurance. Lots of us have learned this the hard way when we've walked our dogs during this pandemic. Uh, Dogs are very good for a quick sprint, but they're quite often worthless for a long hike, unless they've been trained and they're used to that. Have you ever run with the coots? Um, yeah, I didn't think so. Um, a friend of mine, um, he shared a story with me one day, a seminary buddy, about being a student at UC Santa Barbara. And he said he got used to jogging uh, down, uh, he used to go jogging down by the coast. And apparently there were coots all around. These are these little squat kind of awkward looking waterfowl. And they would hang out in, you know, nearby the trail that he would jog on. Coots are not very bright, and they're sort of out of shape, really, when you think about it. So he said what we would do is we'd be jogging, 
and we'd see a cuda, we'd start jogging towards it just fast enough to keep it moving, but not fast enough to make it fly away. Okay? And he goes, after a little bit of time of doing this, the coots would begin to get tired, and they'd get winded, and he said they'd start to weave a little bit. And then if you kept moving, kept them moving long enough, eventually they would just fall over right there on the beach. And Mark told me that at one point, you know, you could just pick the coot up and, and rub its belly and talk to it, have a conversation with this coot. Folks, we do have more endurance than a lot of animals. And so if we can at least run with the coots, and if we've already maintained our faith during a pandemic, then we might be more able than we realize to run with perseverance, the race of faith that is set before us. In the faith, we need to have endurance. And we have more of it than we realize in Christ. In the faith, we also, though, might have to run hurt. We might have to run a race that has obstacles, and we might get injured in that. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul runs his race of faith with a thorn in his flesh. Some issue that he had prayed three times for God to take away from him, and, and God just kept allowing it. And so Paul gradually became more and more dependent upon God, which was good. It made him stronger than he would have been had he been by himself. And that was part of the point. Tom Long tells us this. He goes, God's race is not the Olympics. It is the special Olympics. And runners who are lame, that is, encumbered in so many ways, are encouraged to get out on the track and to make straight paths for your feet. In the Christian faith, if you play hurt, you end up healed. If you stay on the sidelines, the injury just gets worse. So we might have to run hurt, folks. We also have to run with others in mind, perhaps even with those we don't especially like. Folks, like Jesus Christ did, you and I are called to pay attention to those who are around us and at times maybe even make peace with them. Which, by the way, in these days, could be another way of saying our politics is not a good enough reason to stay unreconciled with our neighbors in or outside of Jesus Christ. In fact, when our personal politics keeps us from being reconciled with our neighbor, then they've become an idol. That is, they become more important to us, bigger than Jesus. And that's one of those sins that then weighs us down and keeps us from running the race with perseverance. Folks, we can't run the race of Christ when we're weighted down in our relationships by our personal politics. Now, when it's our neighbor and not us who is the one weighted down with politics, when it's them who is keeping us at arm's length because of politics, that's another matter altogether. If we've done everything in Christ that we can to keep the relationship going, to stay connected, but they still push us away in fellowship, and they refuse to reconcile. And we can rest assured that we have been faithful in Jesus Christ. We've run well that part of the race. I'm not saying we agree with our neighbor. That was never the issue. 
But agreeing in Christ is a different thing. That means we can still love each other. Well, why is this all important? Well, it's because verse 15 says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Through it, and through it, many may become defiled. The scripture then goes on, and we, don't, we didn't read it this morning, but it, it speaks of Esau, who was immoral and, and godless, and, and he sold his birthright for a single meal. Esau was not into, or he was not into delayed gratification. He was not into the long haul. When he wanted something, he wanted it now. And so when he was famished for a meal, he trades his birthright now to his uh, brother Jacob for a bowl of, uh, I believe it's red lentil stew. This is the point where Laura would say to me something like, just wow, just wow. Red lentil stew, really? People, let's not sell the birthright of our faith for something that is less than it, for something that could actually lead to another person losing their faith. And don't we all know of persons, former friends perhaps, who have quit their faith because of this root of bitterness that was passed off as something more important than God's love and grace? God forbid that we were the person, we were the reason why someone else quit their faith. So what to do? Well, the preacher tells us that we are to look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, our salvation was joy to Jesus Christ, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it mean that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith? Well, we could preach countless sermons on that, but it at least means that Jesus went on ahead of us, alone, out into the wild to take on death for us, to defeat it, and to return and declare the victory of God. But what a price he paid. Romano Gardini says this, No one ever died as Jesus died, who was life itself. No one was ever punished for sin as was the sinless one. No one ever experienced the plunge down the vacuum of evil as did God's Son, even to the excruciating agony behind the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was really destroyed. Ardent with suffering, he was to plunge to that ultimate depth where the sacred power which formed the world from nothing could break into new creation. Pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus saw that joy, endured the cross and that shame in order to give us all new life. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. Well, since the cross, because of Jesus' courage and obedience and love, others before us have gone on to follow Jesus Christ. Others have since run the race with the 
perseverance that the, the preacher of Hebrews speaks of. You know, a long time ago, there were Irish pilgrim monks called Peregrini, and they first settled in the northwest coasts and islands of Great Britain and Ireland between 500 and 1,000 A.D., somewhere in there. And uh, it was uh, a migration that was begun by St. Patrick in the 430s A.D., and it was inspired by the desert uh, monks. And their legacy bears with it the idea of wandering over great distances to the wildest places in Scotland and Wales to live out and spread their faith in God. Many went to places that were, were so far out there that they had no names. Robert McFarland says, where they stopped, they built monasteries, cells, oratories. They dug cemeteries for their dead, and they raised stone crosses to God. To migrate away from the named places was, an act, was to act out a movement from history to eternity. There, with the ocean extending away from them and nothing on the horizon to delay the eye, the monks were free to consider infinitude, God. One of those far places was Skellig Michael in Ireland, where, since you wondered, Star Wars Episode Seven was filmed in 2014. A 700-foot-tall fang of rock jutting out of the Atlantic Ocean. And that's where they put some of their homes. So what? Well, we just had Easter. So my friends, do not grow weary. We don't know how long all the things that are going on in our world right now related to the pandemic are going to last. We don't know. But in our daily life, let's carve out times of eternity in order to, as Wendell Berry says, and I often quote, practice resurrection. The resurrection that Jesus is now living out for you and for me. He already did it, and he calls you and me. In spite of everything that's going on now and will go on, he calls us to run the great race of faith with that great cloud of witnesses watching us cheering us on, watching us run for the sake of our own love for Jesus Christ because of Jesus' love for us.